Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in Him. Well, every child at some point in their life loves a good treasure hunt. Am I right? Maybe every adult loves a good treasure hunt every once in a while, right? I, I think about when I was growing up, whether it was like collecting all 50 of the quarters with the different states on it. Anybody else in the room or watching online do that, right? You look for all the quarters, go through mom and dad's coin drawer or in the, in the car, whatever it is. You're looking, it's like the treasure hunt, right? It's fun. Maybe, maybe you're like my wife when you go to the beach. You don't actually enjoy the beach. You enjoy looking for things on the beach, so like you're after shells and you look for shells or what she loves is sea glass. Uh, she doesn't like it when I say, you know, that's like pollution, right? That's all just like glass. That's all. She, shut up, David. It's, I'm, I'm after the glass. I'm after the sea glass. Maybe, maybe you like that type of treasure hunt. Maybe it's carried on uh, into older years. Maybe you're like, I'm on a treasure hunt for Prince Charming. That's what I'm on. I'm looking for him. I want to find him. Treasure hunt. We all, we all love treasure hunts, right? The idea of going after something, pursuing something that at the end of the hunt or at the end of the rainbow or at the end of the race, there is some sort of prize or some sort of treasure that leads to more. Whatever it is in our life, it leads to more. So imagine the satisfaction of, be, of being British archaeologist Howard Carter when he actually discovered after a 31-year search, King Tutankhamun's tomb. Maybe you've never heard of King Tutankhamun before, but maybe in school growing up you heard of King Tut, same guy. So King Tut was an 18-year-old king in Egypt. He was a pharaoh, uh, but he died at age 18. He had a couple different health complications. And what's interesting about uh, Egyptian culture is when a pharaoh would die, uh, oftentimes their body would be hidden to be protected from uh, grave what do they call them? Grave thieves, grave robbers. There we go. So they, they would hide them. And so this is actually a picture of what his tomb looked like when it was discovered in 1922 by this archaeologist. He had looked for this tomb. He knew generally like it's in this place called the Valley of the Kings, right? It's a very mountainous, dry, arid place. And so it was hidden deep within a mountain. How he discovered it was he actually found a step and he looked into the step and started uh, excavating, looking into the wall. And as he broke in, he found King Tut's treasures. He found all of the treasures, all of the things he loved. I mean, the weirdest one to me as I looked at this picture for a while, it looks like this giant cat coffee table. I'm not sure why that was exciting or enticing to him, but this giant coffee table, it seems in the middle, gold artifacts. I mean, different things that were important or valuable or treasured to him is what he was buried with. It's kind of weird, you know, if, if you think about it, if you stumbled upon a tomb like this, it's almost like you stumble into the depth of a person's heart. You know what I mean? It's like there when you walk in that you actually see this is what was valuable to them. This is what was most prized. This is what was most important. When you, when you kind of start looking through these things, you start to understand this is what this person loved because there's a unique relationship between our treasures and our hearts. 
You see where we're going today? We're talking about simplicity, right? We're talking about, uh, in this series right now, it's called Soul Work. We're going through different uh, spiritual disciplines that are key to following Jesus, but often uh, our treasures conflict with eternal treasures that Jesus actually calls us and invites us to pursue. So here's maybe a question for you at the top. Uh, Many of us live with the notion that more is better if someone excavated your heart. What would they find? What, what would they discover deeply buried within? What would they see that's like, wow, this is what this person cares about. This is what they dream about. This is what they long for. This is what they've saved for. This is what they look forward to. This is the thing, or these are the things that are so important that they've stored them away. They've buried them deep within their hearts. What would people find? I have this belief that I I think many of even the people closest to us might be surprised at what they find deep buried within our own hearts. You look at or think about even the American dream. Most of us are consumed with this idea of more. What we want is more. On a weekend like this, more freedom or more independence or more choice or more stuff or more things, more money, more time, more knowledge. You fill in the blank. So many of us are consumed with the idea of more. And yet here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 as we're talking about simplicity. He says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Say heaven with me. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Carol Ann and Corey led us this morning in, in a very marked, simple worship set today. But I love the image that they painted, even through the songs and the lyrics, of stepping into the throne room and joining in worship and prayer with the angels that are still worshiping right now. Jesus is saying to them, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. This is so difficult for probably all of us. If not all, maybe most of us. This is so difficult because we live in a culture or we live in a world or we live in a country that is fascinated and consumed with more and our options are, are they limited or endless? Endless, good grief. So let me prove it to you, okay? You go to any Froyo place, right? You get this, right? You walk in, I mean, my heart skips a beat. I walk in, I don't even love sweets that much, but I do at a Froyo place. I remember the first time, any of you get surprised when you walk up and you, you bring your ice cream up and you're like, what's it gonna be, four bucks, five bucks? And they're like, I don't know, sir, put it on the scale. I'm like, what do you mean, you weigh my, and I put it on there and I go, oh, that was a $12 ice cream. That was very expensive. I've never paid this much for Reese's and cookie dough. That was my experience. What about this next one here? Uh, how many of you know how hard it is right now to buy a car, right? It may seem like your options are endless, but they're endless with a price tag attached to it. What should I get? Where should I go? What can I drive? The opportunities that we have for choice are all over the place. Look at this next one. What about this? When you go to the grocery store, do you ever get overwhelmed like I do when you walk in? You're like, I only need one thing. I only need one thing, and it's spaghetti. It's the most plain, basic food ever. And you walk in, and it's like, which spaghetti do you want? 
I don't know. I've never thought about this before. It's like you can change the length. You can change the width. You know how thick it is. Some of them are spiral. You're like, all of them have the exact same ingredients, right? It doesn't matter if it's pasta or angel hair or spaghetti. You just overwhelm because of the amount of choice. What about this next one here? Uh, have you ever tried to find a house in the market in the last couple of years or an apartment to live in? The opportunities are endless, as long as your budget is endless, right? Can I get an amen from anybody, anywhere? Okay, good, we're still tracking. Let's keep going to the next one here. How many of you uh, have Netflix or Amazon Prime or Google Play or something like that, Apple TV, and you scroll through and you've said these words, there's nothing to watch. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Right, when you're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, it's funny, our options are so endless that it almost leads us to a point of paralysis because then we get on an airplane and we get five movie choices and we want to watch four of them. Am I right? There's something about when the options are endless, it's just repeated over and over and over. Are you sure you want this when you can have this? Are you sure you want this one when you can have this? There's more and more and more and more. What about this last one here? For those of you that go shopping, right? Uh, I'm, I should be blocked from Amazon.com because I scroll through and sometimes they, they have this little icon up here, today's deals, right? You just kind of scroll through and you go, I didn't know I needed that. But you know, they make a really compelling point. I've never had one of those before. <laughs> you know, the super fancy can opener that does this and that. And you go, I, I eat tuna like three times a year and it's not usually by choice, but I need that can opener. I just need the way it works, man. It's just amazing. How many of us, the options that we have access to are endless and it actually perpetuates this theme or perpetuates this notion or idea deep within our hearts that we need just a little bit more than what we currently have. We need just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And what's funny is the more we add, the less we actually enjoy. That's what happens when we get more and more and more and more is the difficulty level skyrockets to appreciate, to enjoy, to be present, to do all of these things that, that all of us actually genuinely want to do. We want to enjoy the life that God has given us, but we also want to discover a life of purpose that Jesus modeled through this simple life that he had. It gets harder and harder and harder, and our culture and our world perpetuates the need inside of us for more. But Jesus says something different. He instructs his disciples not to store up earthly treasures for themselves, not because their stuff can get stolen. Catch this. Jesus doesn't tell them, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth just because your stuff, will get, your stuff will get stolen. What he says is, don't store up treasures for yourself on earth because it'll steal your heart. It's not about your stuff. I want you to hear this today. Today's message, simplicity, the discipline of simplicity is not about your stuff. The stuff is not the end goal here. It is all about 100% your heart. That's what Jesus tried to communicate. He says this, he, we continue on chapter six, verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? These words here, healthy 
and unhealthy. It's really interesting. Maybe, maybe a lot of us, as we read this, we go, okay, just fill your heart or fill your eyes with good things and that will translate to your heart. But actually, it's, it's almost like a monetary or a financial variation of the words healthy and unhealthy. The word healthy translated very, very, very literally could say generous, like generosity, If your eyes are full of generosity, if it's looking for places to give, looking for places to invest, looking for places to let go, to empower, to give away, to store up for yourself heavenly treasure. If your eyes are healthy, if your eyes are generous, then your whole body will be full of light. But then the other word, unhealthy, you know what it actually means? It's really funny to me. Uh, Unhealthy right here. But if your eyes are unhealthy, another translation for unhealthy is stingy. Isn't that an interesting word choice for the commentators and translators that translate, like they parse it and they get it down to its very core and they go, the the juxtaposition here that Jesus is doing is generosity versus stinginess. You you could say others focused versus self-focused. You could say kingdom focused, like Jesus' kingdom, or castle focused, like my castle, my thing, my stuff my life, my world. Isn't it funny? I, I wanted to simplify it maybe this way. It goes like this. Simplicity doesn't lead us to a place where our stuff is enough. Simplicity actually leads us to a place where Jesus is enough. If we start excavating here, if we start digging and going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, maybe a lot of us would find, maybe like I have even this last week, that maybe there's a belief that Jesus isn't enough. Maybe, maybe there's a belief that it's Jesus plus something that would be enough. Maybe it's Jesus plus my stuff, Jesus plus my money, Jesus plus my security, Jesus plus my independence, Jesus plus something would actually be enough. But this idea of simplicity, of of shifting our focus, shifting our gaze, shifting our priorities to the point where Jesus alone is enough, what happens is all of our stuff loses a lot of its value. It's just the way we see it, right? When our eyes are focused on Jesus, we actually see everything else the way it actually is. But when our eyes are focused on our stuff, this is what Jesus is saying, when our eyes are focused on our stuff, it actually pollutes our entire body and we can't even see anything else of importance like Jesus with the value that is actually ascribed to it. It screws everything up. Everything's short circuit. So I... I just put on here, I I don't think I've ever aspired to live a simple life, personally. I've kind of been dreading this message. (laughs) If I'm being honest with you, I'm going, I just, I'm horrible at this. this, It's so difficult for me to get here. And I've shared with you maybe in the past before of desires for security, right? Or desires for significance or desires, you know, for things that that I want that are bigger or greater or more, 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 right? I've built a life in many ways uh, off of insecurities or brokenness from my past that says, man, if I just get more, then I will be good. If I just get more here, then I'll be comfortable. If I just get more here, then I'll be significant or then I'll be secure. What's funny is the desire for more or more or more has created a drive in me 
to do more, to be more, to learn more, to accomplish more than is actually required. And it's celebrated in our culture. To do more, be more, know more, accomplish more. If you have more, then you must be more. And here's what's funny about that. As I've gotten older and matured, I'm discovering the richness in simplicity. Discovering, I want you to catch that. Not discovered. I am on the journey with you. I am discovering or I'm realizing that in my attempt to fill my life with more, I actually become less effective at the things that are most important. Brian, our lead pastor, has this uh, saying he coached me with, man, years ago, I think. Uh, He said this one line that just ruined me. Like like on a deep, like I, I call them grenades. Like here you go, figure this out before it blows up your life. And and he said this statement, he goes, success is defined by those that are closest to you. I went, I need to reorient my entire life. Success is defined by those that are closest to you. I think why he says that is because they see you for who you are. Because the role that God has called us to is first and foremost to be in relationship with him. It's our, in our relationship with him that that should overflow and spill over into our closest relationships with our spouse or with our parents, our siblings, our kids, our grandkids, those that we work super close, maybe business partners, maybe co-teachers, maybe our students. Those that are closest to us actually have the ability to define whether or not we are success. And man, it ruined this foundation that I was building my life on as it should have been ruined because eventually it cripples, it crumbles, it falls apart, and everything of importance tumbles. I've never desired a simple life until that statement got deep within me, and I went, huh. Maybe to be successful at the most important things requires me to say no to a lot of other less than worthy things. That includes stuff, possessions, promotions, work, knowledge, things to do, places to go, people to see, stuff to accomplish, whatever it is. It's funny that the less I focus on, the more effective I actually Become. So Brene Brown says this. It's really funny. She said, the opposite of scarcity is not abundance, which is what I would have thought. The opposite of scarcity is not abundance. The opposite of scarcity is simply enough. I've realized that I've had this desire, this drive, this motivation maybe that comes from a place of scarcity, not feeling like I'll have enough. What she's saying is, she's an author, she's a college professor. Uh, What she's saying is the opposite of that is not an abundance, which is how most of us treat the feeling of scarcity. She said the opposite of scarcity is enough. Simply enough. What stinks about that is it's often invisible. We often can't, see it. We can't feel it. We can't notice it. But here's a gift. I'll toss you a gift, right? Maybe a grenade. I'll toss you one. The closest people to you can see it. 
the closest people can see if you're living out of a place of scarcity. Listen, I'm so grateful I have, but I need to keep listening and keep, keep coming back. Let's keep reading chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus kind of finishes up this little section and he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. So far, you're like, yep, I agree, right? Two bosses, I'm going to love one, I'm going to hate one, right? That's how I would see it. That's how I would approach. Of course, Jesus, we're on, on the same page. And then he says this, so you cannot serve both God and money. And you go, what? what? Time out. You cannot serve both God and money. Money, uh, it's funny, you might say, oh, that's, that's the dollar or the yuan or Bitcoin or whatever you want to say, something that's like a thing, right? That's translated, transferred, whatever. That's it, it, actually not, the word money is translated as mammon, which is the pursuit of wealth. See the difference? One is an inanimate object. The other one is a pursuit of the heart towards something that contradicts Jesus. Jesus is saying, you can pursue your life of wealth or you can pursue a life with me, but you cannot choose both. Man, some of the hardest things Jesus said, I still remember uh, somebody's like, hey, Jesus, before we leave, can I just say bye to my parents? Or Jesus, where are you going to sleep? Whatever. And Jesus, one of his lines says, you know, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And to, to most other people, I mean, even today, you're like, what is he talking about, right? I was just saying, can I come with you? And he, he's, we're on the Discovery Channel. We're talking about foxes and birds. And, and here was Jesus' point. If you follow me, if you actually give your life to me, the desire for things is so low because your desire for me is so great. You won't worry about how you'll be provided for. You won't worry about where you live. You won't worry about where you sleep. You won't worry about all of these other things. You'll be so focused on me, it will put into perspective everything else in the way that it needs to be. And then he gives this invitation. So come follow me. Come join me. Come enjoy with me the life that I've created for you to enjoy. It could change everything. If you can see me rightly. So what is simplicity? If I just define it, simplicity is this. It's pursuing one goal above all else. So often we think it's about our stuff, right? Simplicity, it means I need to sell all my stuff, downsize my house, get rid of a retirement, whatever. It, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Simplicity is to focus on one thing and orient everything else in your life around that one thing. That one thing for us as followers of Jesus should be Jesus. What's so funny about his life, it actually bugged the daylights out of uh, the religious people is how simple Jesus' life actually was. You think about it, we talk about it usually just during Christmas time, but Jesus was born in a manger. He was surrounded by a bunch of animals. It wasn't, wasn't big, wasn't glorious, wasn't majestic. He was born with a bunch of donkeys and sheep and pigs. And he was born to a really simple family. You know, his father was a carpenter. Jesus' life, he grew up in a small town. It was so simple. Yet whether or not you agree or disagree that Jesus might be the son of God, whether or not you agree or you've built your life or fallen around him, I think we could all agree this. Jesus' life was pretty amazing. The impact that he had has spanned generations. And as followers of Jesus, we go, yeah, it's because he's the son of God. 
And here he is in all of his glory, and he goes, and, and yet this is life. It's not a pursuit of wealth. It's not a pursuit of fame. It's not a pursuit of glory. It's, not, it's just a pursuit of my heavenly father. And if you want to see and if you want to understand my heavenly father, then look at me. That's what Jesus said. If you want to understand him, if you want to know him, just look at me. Orient your life around me, and it will change everything. So simplicity doesn't lead us to a place where our stuff is enough, but to a place where Jesus is enough. It could change everything. So not too long ago, uh, my brother and I kind of do this thing now. We've done it twice, so we call it a thing, right? It's a thing now. Uh, my grandpa is a longtime Cubs fan. He grew up in Chicago, uh, grew up going to Wrigley Field. And so even as like a little boy, I remember uh, he was telling us the story. He was eight years old and he showed up to Wrigley Field. And uh, my family comes from very modest background, right? Very, they, they own their own business, but it was a tiny little appliance business, mom and pop shop that my grandpa's dad started. So very small, very limited number of employees. So grandpa grew up just down the road from Wrigley Field and he couldn't afford tickets. So what he would do is he would go in early and at that point uh, they would give especially like young kids we'll give you free tickets if you come in and you put down all the seats for us so he would come in and he'd run all the rows and put down all the seats and he just loved being at Wrigley Field I mean it's it's one of the most iconic stadiums that we still have in our country today so he just loved it and marveled at it and enjoyed it well there was one day he was sitting out in right field and uh, there was a hit and the hit goes up, and it was a foul ball, but it landed right next to him. And so he jumped on it. He grabbed the ball. And today, right, that was awesome. Brian showed a video a couple weeks ago, right, of the dad that catches the ball. It's like awesome, fun. The crowd claps. Back then, it was a totally different game. Back then, you had to take the ball and throw it back because money was short and money was limited, right? They didn't just have baseballs galore that they could just give to everybody. So what does my grandpa do? Just being the awesome, solid, Christian, Jesus-following man. Does he throw it back? No, he does not. He puts it in his pocket and he runs for his life. <laughs> and as he tells the story, he had a whole group of police officers and firefighters that chased him down. So he starts at right, he runs to home, he's taken off towards left. I mean, he is hauling, but uh, the Dorner jeans can't run very fast, so they caught him. They caught him, took the ball from him, they took it, right, devastated. He's an eight-year-old boy. They took the ball and they throw it back out on the field, and Grandpa's devastated, right? But now here we are, 80 years later. My grandpa's 88 years old. We're sitting, this, this was a picture I took on my phone. We're sitting here. It's my grandpa, my dad, me, and my brother. We're sitting here. And my grandpa's telling us this story. We'd never heard this story before. So at 88 years old, he's telling this story and a, a section leader for the Cubs overhears it. You know, grandpa's wearing his Korean War vet hat. And so he comes up and he thanks him for his service. And what's the story that you're telling? And so grandpa tells him, 80 years ago, I was right there. And I caught a ball. It was the first ball I ever got. It just meant the world to me. And I got it and ran and they took it and I had to throw it back. And he goes, did you ever get a ball? He goes, nope. Oh, bummer. And that's the end of the story. I'm just kidding. That's not the end of the story. <laughs> so we're sitting there. We're watching the game. Eighth inning, there's a hit. It's a foul ball, but it goes straight back, hits the net. The ball boy goes and grabs it. And I watch the section leader go up. And he taps the, the ball boy on the shoulder and he says, can I have that? And he gives him the game ball. Section leader walks right up, gets down on his knee by my grandpa who had a miserable game because it was so cold. It was freezing the whole game. 
gift shop, let us borrow a, a blanket. <laughs> he gets down on one knee and he gives them a ball. It's not this ball, but he gives them a ball. He says, thank you for your service. I want to write a new ending to your story. And I've never seen anybody clutch a baseball like he did. He cradled it and just held it for the rest of the game, forgot about how cold it was, forgot the fact that we lost, forgot the fact that he was winded by the time we got back to our car, forgot all of the negative things, all the things. Like you, you could have given him anything and it wouldn't have paled in comparison to this ball. And here's what's funny about me. This is why it moved me so much. It's a ball. It's a baseball. It's so simple. My grandpa came from very simple background, very simple means, very simple family, loved his Cubs, suffered being a Cubs fan for 70 years, which is kind of like being a Lions fan. (laughs) Just suffered and suffered and suffered. And he gets the ball and he loves it. Here's what I saw on display that day. Just the goodness of God to my grandpa. Grandpa's given away everything. His whole life. He's built it on the foundation of the person of Jesus. He's lived as such as an, an example for me, for my family. And he can celebrate the simple things of life. He can discover the richness in following Jesus, the ball, as important as it is, pales, I'll promise you, it pales in comparison to the relationship that he has with Jesus. It's the model he set for me. So let me finish this. I want to read this. Matthew 6, 25. It's not going to be on the screen, but here's how Jesus closes out this passage talking to his disciples. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But then he closes with this. What a punch. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. There it is, the simplicity. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Seek first your relationship with Jesus. And he says, all these other things that you need, all these other things he will provide for you. It is in the simple life that you will discover the richness of what it means to follow the person of Jesus, one who loves you, who died for you, who cares for you, who interceded for you, who formed you, who knows you, who loves you more than you could ever imagine. Don't let all the extras distract you 
from him. So as you leave today, it's just one simple question. It just goes like this. What do you need to give away or let go of to move towards simplicity? What's one thing you just need to remove? You need to get it out, get it gone. So you can say, I want to make Jesus my thing. I want to make it all about him in my life. And I'm going to take a step in that direction. Let me pray for us. God, we just thank you just for the gift of simplicity. We thank you for the way that you just love us, that you care for us, even that you've preserved your word for us for so many years, um, for centuries, God, so we might know your goodness, that we might know your love, that we might know your provision. God, I, I just pray for those of us that maybe feel convicted or feel like we have too much or feel like we've ran and chased other things that aren't you, like me, God, that's what I feel. I just pray that you'd give us grace. I pray that we would feel your invitation that's just bathed in love to come and spend time with you because you know full well that the things we desire, the things that are deeply buried within our hearts actually desire you. So would you meet us? Would you move in our time? Would you move in the rest of our weekend? Would you move in our church so that the world might see how different followers of you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said together. Amen. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.